stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. Let's see, y'all. Just where the hell were we? Where are we? Shit, what day is it? All right, I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Mm. I'll tell you what. Here's what I know. Last month, we had a re-air or rebroadcast of sorts of one of my more, what I think is, at least as far as the stats are concerned, my more well-received shows. It was all about that most tragic of fallen heroes, Anakin Skywalker of the Star Wars saga, whose story is arguably coming to an official close at the end of this year in The Rise of Skywalker. I'm sort of interested in giving that episode a re-listen, I think, after I see episode 9, to see if my observations fall completely in line or if I totally miss the mark on my observation of Anakin Skywalker and subsequently Darth Vader. So if you did not listen to that episode, what the hell are you doing listening to this one? Turn it off, you, and get caught up proper. You will like it, and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm sure of it, you know. I'll bet you dollars to donuts. So let's see, what else do I know? Uh, my wife and I saw Joker, which... We'd sort of speculated on last month, I think, and uh, wow, that was a picture, let me tell you. I don't want to get into it too deep here, as I know a lot of you hasn't seen it yet, and it's probably going to get an episode of its own on the Sleeping Giant podcast here in 2020 after the Blu-ray release, but I will say that I was moved by that film. It was a stripped harrowing and intensely disturbing character study of a mentally ill man and his effect on the political and economic climate of his environment, as well as vice versa. It was also a study of those effects upon him. Now, when people say that this is not a comic movie, they're absolutely right. It, it uh, absolutely right, excuse me, it contains... Uh, characters and settings from an established comic world, yes, but it does away fully with typical quote-unquote origin story tropes, and there is no quote-unquote super element to the film at all. Those looking for the Batman of it all will not find it in Joker, though the weight and implication of that character is certainly present. It's it's a bit subtle, and the suggestions are more multidimensional than they are linear. Um, if that's what the filmmakers were going for, then hats off. Uh, I would say that Phoenix knocked it out of the park, uh, as many believe that he would. It uh, it was an unforgettable performance. If if it was anything at all, it was unforgettable. And and that's all I have to say on that now, though, because I do believe Joker is a film worthy of deeper conversation and exploration. And uh, I'm quite keen to get that show going. Uh, any takers out there, by the way? Um, 
who wants to tackle that one with me on the show? If you do, drop me a line, and we will make it happen. You can reach me, of course, on Instagram and Facebook at The Sleeping Giant Podcast and on Twitter at TSG underscore pod. Uh, I snoozed and lost on that one, evidently. There was no The Sleeping Giant Podcast available on Twitter. So uh, if you own that and it's for sale, you know, let me know. I've... Uh, Got a couple of chickens and maybe a goat that I can procure for you, and uh, that's probably the extent of, of what I can manage at this point. Uh, alternatively, I, I will offer um, certain supernatural and occult services if you are remotely interested in in bartering for that uh, for that handle on Twitter. So anyway, I would love to see some reviews popping in on Apple Podcasts. By the way, those. Reviews really do help the podcast a bit further along. So if you could take two to five minutes of, of your precious time, uh, as I realize it is precious to you, and review that show, I would be mighty grateful to you. So come on. Come on. Just, uh, you know, do it. Anyway, while we will not be talking about Joker today, we will be discussing a film still with my brother, William, and we're going to tackle that brilliant piece of 1982 uh, magnificence, uh, wonder of puppetry performance, The Dark Crystal. For real, I love that movie, and uh, and Will and I grew up on it, and many films like it, and I'd like to think that it was a taste shaper, um, if that actually kind of sounds weird. So let's just say it was a huge influence on our adult taste in cinema and that is that I, I I don't know taste in adult cinema. Wait, that's definitely not it. Anyway, it's uh, the Dark Crystal is a wonderful film, and uh, Will and I had a great time discussing it. And I hope that you enjoy listening to us talk about it. William, are you there? I am indeed. Thank you very much for joining me tonight, William. I appreciate that. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be talking about The Dark Crystal this evening. And this was actually, this was your idea, Will. And uh, mm -hmm. just to start things off, could you tell us why you chose The Dark Crystal? Well, not only is it, you know, top of mind, well, more or less top of mind for a lot of people right now uh, because of the series that Netflix put out, but it's always been one of my favorite um childhood movies if not long-term movies um it especially the music you know every everybody talks about the creature design the world design mm -hmm. which is all very impressive but that there's just something about that refrain from the main theme of the dark crystal that oh, yeah. is just haunting in its beauty and you don't forget it either it, it is it that has stuck with me my entire life i think Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll hopefully, when I'm old and gray and in my later years, that will still be burned into my memory. <laughs> Some of us are not old and going gray. Wow. <laughs> there, there's, there's a few gray hairs I have. But, yeah. you know, I mean mostly gray at that point. Sure. I, I caught your meaning. I was picking up <laughs> what you were putting down. Sure. Okay, well, you know, it, I'm glad that you did choose The Dark Crystal because it's one of my favorite things, or one of my favorite films, rather. I, I don't watch it terribly often, mm -hmm. um, but 
we did watch it recently because of, uh, as you mentioned, the Netflix show that just came out, uh, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Mm -hmm. So this movie came out in 1982, meaning I had not yet been born. Um, but mm. when I did see it, I believe I was probably about two or three. So we're looking at 1986 uh, wow. when I first saw this film. And uh, let's see, Will, you were were you born in '86? Uh, sure wasn't. Uh, I just missed out on '86 by a month. '87. Uh, I should be able to keep up with all this stuff, you know, considering <laughs> that you are all my siblings. <laughs> I've known you for a few years, yeah. Well, you know, I spoke to Hannah yesterday. It was her, uh, it was her birthday, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who don't know, uh, yesterday was uh, my youngest sister's twenty third birthday, and I missed that <laughs> one by a year. I thought it was her twenty second birthday. We'd like to pretend that it was her twenty second birthday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my next birthday is also my twenty second birthday. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but with that being said. I was just a little guy when I saw The Dark Crystal, and uh, it stuck with me uh, for many of the reasons that you mentioned, but also because, I mean, this was the same time that I was watching Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, The Return of the Jedi, uh, E.T. also, um, you know, uh, other other of our Spielberg favorites. <laughs> and uh, And, you know, it was just in that mix of... And I don't know if it was the time, uh, you know, we just got really lucky to have a slew of very imaginative films mm-hmm. when we were very young children. But The Dark Crystal always stuck with me. And one of the reasons is because it was so grim, um, mm. which I think you could get away with a little bit more. Uh, you could get away with that in the 80s, I think. I don't think that uh, everyone was quite so uptight. Um, especially about what their children were watching. In fact, <laughs> Jim Henson actually said that he felt like he felt like he needed to make something dark because it wasn't good for children to never be afraid, <laughs> uh, which I think was very interesting. Um, so this film came out in 1982. It was directed by Jim Henson, obviously, and mm-hmm. Frank Oz. So you had dual directorship um, in this particular film, which I think is very cool. Uh, Frank Oz being, you know, the amazingly talented individual that he is. Indeed. Um, and it was it was produced by uh, Jim Henson and also Gary Kurtz, who produced Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. So already we're kind of seeing kind of, you know, a lot of people that are collaborating on this picture have roots in similar projects. Um. The music, of course, was uh, that was composed by Trevor Jones, who also did the score for Labyrinth, mm-hmm. uh, which was another Jim Henson uh, collaboration, obviously. Um, and then, of course, you have the amazing uh, conceptual design by Brian Froud. So mm. those are kind of the minds that you have at work with this film. Um, so, you know, anyone who watched The Muppets... Uh, you know, I think should already have a pretty firm understanding of, you know, the talent and sort of the, the spirit of Jim Henson uh, and the Jim Henson company at this point. But, uh, but Will, would you like to uh, take over and walk us through, uh, I guess, the, the beginning of The Dark Crystal, kind of what it's all about and, and the impression that it made on you? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I saw this movie when I was very young as well. Um, 
I, I don't know if we owned it on VHS. If you don't know what VHS is, ask your parents. <laughs> but I, I don't know if we owned it or if we rented it. And if you don't know about renting physical copies of movies either, ask your parents. Um, hey, they may still subscribe to Netflix. Oh, right. They do still lend out discs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think we probably rented it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I don't. I can neither confirm nor deny whether our father ever pirated VHSs. There was a way to do that back then. Yeah, like a boss. Yeah, uh, indeed. So, uh, watching that movie on tape is really unlike anything else because it, it, the movie starts with a, a landscape, uh, a wasteland, even with this gnarled castle in the middle of it you know probably not very in the middle because of the rule of thirds and everything but it's it's like a claw jutting out from this flat wasteland and this voiceover comes on and i'm i'm not sure who it is but you you may know i i'm not sure but i don't um, actually i it sounds a lot like the guy from the first and last tracks um from the moody blues album days of future pass uh, sorry, it took me a while to bring that up, dredge no that up from the memory. <laughs> um, but it starts with this ominous, almost ominous, but not quite ominous voiceover uh, setting up the world and ends obviously and naturally with the narrator saying the dark crystal and the music swells and the title comes up, this beautifully designed logo for the movie comes up. And, and it's it's about a world that has been the world hasn't necessarily been split but creatures in the world are victims of a split uh, and there's a, a big crystal the dark crystal as the title implies that is missing a piece and while that crystal is missing a piece the world can't be whole and so in that gnarled claw-like castle live these bird men um, that are incredible feats of puppetry called the sketch. Yeah, and that's putting it very nicely. Yeah, it's, it is insane. If you haven't seen this movie and you haven't seen anything about the Netflix series, you're doing yourself a disservice by at least not looking up the Skeksis. But um, probably, on the other hand, saving yourself a lot of uh, nightmare fuel. Right. Yeah, you they're pretty <laughs> scary. Uh they they are when I say bird people, I don't mean uh friendly looking corvid corvids with, you know, big dark eyes that are friendly looking. They've got tiny beady eyes and their beaks are a variety of disease. They're scaly looking. in a sense. They're almost reptilian. Right. They have a few feathers, but they're mostly skin creatures skinned creatures and on the other hand there exists a, a a partner race called the mystics which are still a very cool interesting looking um creature design but not as impressive uh, but then again I, i'm not sure whether their slowness and cumbersomeness if that's a word were intentional or were a byproduct of their design but Mm-hmm. The the Skeksis and the Mystics are a sort of dual race. And that's one of the coolest things to me about this movie is... And, and honestly, I, I can't think of another uh, story in popular media about something like this where 
this race, the beginning of the movie is the Skeksis emperor is dying and mm-hmm. they're looking to name a successor. Meanwhile, across the land, the kingdom, whatever you want to call it. Thra. Thra, right. On the other side of Thra is the leader of the mystics is dying. And so it's implied at that point that they share more than just that duality of one is evil and one is good. And right. Later you even see um, one of the Skeksis is injured and he's he, his hand is cut open and he says, ah, my hand. And across the world, one of the mystics raises his hand and it's been injured. And, and so too my hand. Yep, exactly. Yeah, well, we'll definitely touch on that momentarily. That's jumping ahead just a oh, little bit. Sorry. Um, but cause I was thinking that. I was like, I want to say something about it because it was just so fucking cool. But uh, but that does happen later on in the film. So essentially what you have is, you know, just to kind of recap what you said, you have a world that hasn't quite necessarily moved on in the way of uh, the Dark Tower or the Gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Um but it's definitely been depleted or drained. And mm. it actually has a name that you find out um, if you watch the, the Netflix series. It's called The Darkening. And it was a byproduct of the crystal sundering. And I think that it's also important to mention that it was the sundering of the crystal of truth that that split the race in two. Um, mm. I could be totally mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that they were one race um, before the crystal sundered. Um, and that split them into right. the Skeksis and the, the uh, what was it? The Mystics. Urso oh, or the oh. Mystics. Yeah, um, it's the Urskeks, I think, were the, the race that were around before. Right, the they were the primary race. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's very interesting. And it sets up this almost a classic sort of mythology um which i I would like to discuss momentarily Mm -hmm. uh or you know as we go on but so that's what you've got is you've got these two races and you have this world that is dying uh but it's also implied as i think you mentioned that both the skeksis and the mystics are dying Mm. so having that established you find that the mystics are in uh, or rather, they are the the foster parents or family of what is believed to be the last living Gelfling, mm-hmm. which is our main character or our hero, Jin. And right. uh, so, what did you what did you think of that? What, what were your impressions of Jin upon first meeting him in the film? Jin is is uh, again the the centerpiece of. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. From a character standpoint, it's a classic uh, hero protagonist, if any of you are Snow Crash fans. Um, <laughs> but he is the hero. He, he's got a call to adventure that the mentor, the leader of the mystics, gives him. From a um, design standpoint, because a lot of this movie, you, I, I feel compelled and I feel one must touch on the design of virtually everything because it's an enormous feat. Um, this movie, again, I have to reiterate, if you're doing yourself a disservice, the Gelflings are not scary, so don't feel bad about Googling them. You're, you're not going to be freaked out by them, I think. Well, 
Uh, they're smooth-skinned, long-haired, big-eyed <laughs> creatures. So they are they're very, very elf-like. Right. They're they're like little elves. So, um, in close-up shots, Jen is a very interesting-looking character and is obviously uh, a Muppet, um, but a much more I hesitate to say realistic Muppet than from the Muppet Show, but that's it's along those lines. He's he's more grounded in reality. Humanoid. Humanoid, right. He doesn't look like Kermit the Frog or Fozzie Bear. He looks like a humanoid creature. Uh, wide shots, though, it's clearly a child um, with a wig, which that's fine. But uh, this character is... Sorry, you were about to say something. Oh, I was going to ask, do you know for sure? I mean, are you familiar with that aspect of the production that it was a child? No, it's but it is a very small person. Um, because it in those wide shots, it definitely looks like they just couldn't manage a Muppet. In like a Muppet scaling a, a You know, hill. I would be shocked, though, if that were actually true. I if would. Uh, I'm. I'm curious. Yeah. If any of you listening to this, if you're familiar with that aspect of this film's production, please, uh, you know, shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or hell, even Twitter, because um, I'd really like to know. Because when I watched that and I saw that, Will, I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, how did they do that? And mm-hmm. but my first instinct was, surely they wouldn't use, you know. Um, a person wholly, you know, I mean, I understand that there are people in, you know, the puppets and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I just, I, I really felt strongly that that would have been the work of some mechanical design, at least to a degree. Oh, I, Who I, knows? I thought the opposite. I, I thought that's, that's a person running around and they're, they're careful. I feel like never to have it straight on mm-hmm. Jen's face in those wide shots. Right. I'm probably romanticizing the ideal. Hey, and that's, that's that could cool. be why. That's all right. Um, but so, uh, the leader of the mystics tells Jen to find, um, Agra. Uh, you don't know who Agra is at this point. Uh, but Jen as a Gelfling is prophesized to be the downfall of the Skeksis and to unite the crystal. So indeed. And if I can, I'd like to speak on that scene. Did you get real Return of the Jedi vibes from that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, Uh, so both films came out in 82. Frank Oz obviously was heavily involved in both. Uh, So as as director and then being involved in the Dark Crystal and then, of course, being Yoda in Return mm -hmm. of the Jedi, I I wonder which one influenced the other, right? if at all. I'd be willing to... I, I think Return of the Jedi came out in 83. Um, oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. It did. But so, but I don't know when production happened for each. But if this came out early in 82, I would put this as like, you know, George Lucas or, you know, maybe Richard Marquand, uh, the director of Return of the Jedi, caught wind and was like, oh, that was a great scene. Hey, let's emulate some of that stuff. Yeah, what was that thing you did, Frank? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, it, it definitely has that feeling of the same feeling as, you know, I hate to give you spoilers for Return of the Jedi at this point, if you're listening to this podcast, but, uh, I don't know if that's possible. Right. <laughs> um, but in Yoda's final scene as a non-force entity in Return of the Jedi, I liked how political that, uh, how well done I did that. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> instead of what I, other word I Okay, go ahead. Um, but uh, it, it's the same vibe, I guess you could say, where someone is bringing something to this hero who seems a little lost and doesn't know what to do next. And uh, the only difference is Luke is much bigger than Yoda while the leader of the mystics is much larger than Jen. <laughs> yeah, I guess there is kind of a reversal there. But it's the, you know, they're in the hut. He's mm-hmm. dying. He's giving him his, his mission, essentially, or telling him what he must do. And, of course, Jen is reluctant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just, I got a very Return of the Jedi vibe from that, which is fine because it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, he is he is told and shown, I think, the crystal in mm-hmm. the uh, the scrying uh fluid or liquid as it were mm-hmm. and uh and he is given the mission to find augur as you met as you as you mentioned by uru uru i believe was the name of uh, uh gotcha of the the dying mystic so so now he he he's sent away from the village of the mystics or the camp of the mystics in search of this uh this mysterious augur um and, and I don't recall. Did he didn't mention anything about the Great Conjunction? Did he? That that happens after. Mm, I watched this movie very recently too, and I'd be hard pressed to tell you if he mentioned the Great Conjunction. Okay, well, I it mean, doesn't matter. I because know it comes up later. As Jen is is traveling to find Agra, as he's seeking her out, this is a prime example of some of those wide shots you were talking about that illustrate mm-hmm. sort of his trek, but also uh the the puppetry implemented into the landscape and some of the sets mm. that were built really showcases uh the world of of Thra and just how alien it is yeah absolutely some very unique stuff there which you know obviously labyrinth came after this <laughs> um but you you're going to you know you're you're going to see a lot of, of similar things in labyrinth and those are the only two films that come to my mind where you really see things like that um, and that, in my opinion, probably has most to do with the fact that both films were conceptualized, or rather, I should say, the uh, the concepts were were designed uh, by Brian Froud. So mm-hmm. um, to make make of that what you will. Um, so he he runs in. He finally kind of uh, he's ensnared, I guess, on a mountainside. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, it, I guess it was one of Agra's booby traps. Mm-hmm. Um. And so there she is. And it all happens very quickly. This is a very short movie, Will. It's, what right. was it, about 80 minutes? I'm not sure, but it's it's pretty short. Um, I would think it's not longer than an hour and a half. Right. So we're moving we're moving pretty quickly through the story. And Algra is, how would you describe Algra? <laughs> Good question. Um, Algra is like a... Uh, squat, short, wide, goblin woman. She kind of reminds me of an orc from the Forgotten Realms campaign. Yeah, I can see that. Or a fantasy world. Um, But yeah, she is an astronomer Mm -hmm. and a bit of a hermit. And and I can only assume because she's been alone for so long, she's maybe gone a little insane kooky yeah just a little bit um but she is a very interesting character and those of you familiar with 
Brian Froud's creature design uh, have probably seen very similar critters uh, to Agra in, in his work. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, towards the end here. But uh, so she takes him into her, uh, and I can never remember the word for this. Orrery. Is it, uh, orrery. That's it. Yep. I, and, you know, every time I play Skyrim, I think of this, <laughs> yeah. the orrery, um, because they're very similar. Mm-hmm. So she explains to Jen that there's something very important that's about to happen, a very important astronomical event um, called what she calls the Great Conjunction, I think, where there are three suns that will align, um, and the crystal must be healed during the, the Great Conjunction, or, or before or during the Great Conjunction, because if if he fails to do so, if he fails to to complete the crystal, then the Skeksis will rule forever, which, to be honest with you, I, I don't know if I just missed something on my viewing wheel. I don't understand why that is even a thing. <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand why that matters mm. um, or or why it would signify that they would rule forever. And, yeah. you know, it just there's a lot of questions that, I, that opens up for me because if that's the case, then wouldn't the rest of the mystics be around live? forever? also yeah um, and it also it, it kind of goes against you know how the skexies have like used up thra um how were they what are they going to rule for eternity right after that? what are they going to rule and in what state of health you're right exactly so i don't so know. i didn't yeah that i didn't understand so if if i miss something which is entirely possible um then uh then again, I'm certainly open to be informed and or corrected. Um, so she informs him of the Great Conjunction, which sounds, I mean, don't get me wrong, though, the whole thing sounds fucking awesome. And like in the context <laughs> right. of a fantasy film, you know, with the hero on a quest, it sounds very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, you know, as you would expect in the sequel series, they do elaborate on some of this. So maybe I'm just forgetting some of, some of it. Um, because they do elaborate on who Algra is, where she came from, and sort of, you know, what the Ursek were about before Urskek, excuse me, were about and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot, but a little. They, it is elaborated on. So, um, at this point, though, uh, you know, in, in the film, you know, before you get to the scene, you actually see how, uh, how the Gelfling had been, I guess they had been spied on. Uh, mm. So the Garthim master, who at this point is acting emperor, sends uh, the Garthim, which are these, these, just these horrible <laughs> half beetle, half man, half spider, crab, horseshoe, just That's fucking. That's a lot of halves. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, I, uh, if the I failed math class. No worries. By the if, way. If the Skeksis didn't give you nightmares, the Garthim will. Yeah, and it's the sounds that they make. It, uh, to me, really it's the sound me and the like shuffling walk that they do that's not quite, you know, right looking. Right. It is, it is very wrong, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, so these hulking things, they, uh, they intrude upon uh, on Algra and, and, and Jen. He escapes. She's captured mm-hmm. and presumably brought back to... Um, the, the crystal castle or the castle of the crystal mm-hmm. where the Skeksis reside. And then, you know, Jen is just like, well, the only person that could have helped me figure this whole thing out is, uh, is gone. So he's kind of, um, 
at this point a little hesitant. Now, I thought this this film pretty well, how should I say it, followed the quote-unquote hero's journey pretty well. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking to myself, like there wasn't ever really a point where Jin refused the call to action. Yeah. uh, Or refused the call to adventure, I should say. But at this moment, he's certainly hesitant and very reluctant. So I'm wondering if maybe that's that aspect of the hero's journey. Maybe. Yeah. And it's almost more like a, I don't really know where to go, what to do next. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say if like it's of his own volition or just a like, well, I can't continue on my journey because I, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. Right. Um, so basically at this point, um, Oh, he did, he did get the crystal while he was the crystal shard while he was, he has the shard. Yes. Uh, so she had an array of, of shards, I think. And, and Mm -hmm. he was able, I guess the note that he, he played a note on his flute and then the, Mm -hmm. the actual shard illuminated. And I don't know if there was some mystical significance to that note, but Mm -hmm. It, it seemed to the crystal seemed to vibrate in resonance with that. So he had the shard um, as he as he escaped. He had that in his possession. So um, what I thought was really cool is that this brings us to this point where the mystics are just they're so esoteric. You know, mm-hmm. um, they decide, and I say that because they're very they take their time with what they're deciding and everything that they do seems to carry such tremendous weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was so cool. They decided to travel to the castle at this point to face the Skeksis head on, because I can only assume that at this point they are aware of what Jen is doing mm-hmm. and they want to be there for him to succeed or fail. But there's just something about that aspect of the story that really grabs me. And it just, I don't know. It's, it has a very, heavy sense of romanticism that I just really appreciate. I think it's sort of the, the finality of it. Yeah. And I I think another thing that gives it a lot of force or or a lot of resonance is that it's the opposite of everything that we see the Skeksis do who are very um, Mm -hmm. capricious and grabby to make judgments and grabby. Um, So seeing the Skeksis that way first and then seeing the mystics slowly ponderously making their way across Thra to face the Skeksis gives it that much more weight. Exactly. So that was very well done. I thought, um, so at this point in, in Jen's journey, he's, he's in a swamp and he sort of accidentally <laughs> meets Kira, who is a girl, but she's also a Gelfling. And Jen had assumed up until this point, that he was the last Gelfling on Thra, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, there there was a pogrom or a um, a genocide by the Skeksis. Once the prophecy was widely known that um, a Gelfling would be their undoing, they began to exterminate the Gelfling. Um, which you think I would have remembered, or at I'm, least I'm sorry, would have could mentioned you say that again. I, I, you would think that I would have remembered that part. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, it's so. Um, he, that's why he assumed that there were no more, and so when he finds um, Kira, 
You just said it. Yeah. And Kira. I just watched this movie Kira. a little while ago, like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And I, my brain just decided to shut down. So, uh, and yeah, I know. She, well, she, we, we are working folk. Right. Exactly. Uh, and she has an advantage over uh, Jen. Uh, during their first meeting, he is sinking into a swamp and uh, Kira shows up and begins this trilling note. And uh, it turns out that Jen is on top of some great frog hippo thing. Uh, the creature design is amazing. I got to reiterate one more time. Uh, and mm-hmm. Kira can essentially speak to these animals um, through... I forget how what she calls it, but it's it's more than just language. It's it's something else. Um, but when they touch, they either link hands or uh, yeah, I think their hands touch. And uh, the Gelfling have a hitherto unknown uh, ability called dream fasting, where yes, dream uh, fasting. They share their thoughts, one in the same, and. Their sentences with each other overlap as as the movie. Very explains. cool sequence. Yeah, um, and, and it sort of shows you where both of them came from and where they've been this whole time. And they see everything. Right. It's it's <laughs> the closest analog I can think of is um, the the drift in Pacific Rim um, when you pilot a uh, Jaeger with another pilot, you see everything in their head. There's been a lot of stuff between me and Pacific Rim. Um, <laughs> as David Spade once said, I think hops and bong resin. But uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the the dream fasting is pretty cool. And I, I, and I say that I'm, I'm just being crass, as, you know, because, sure. of course, there's a lot of things I probably wouldn't want somebody to see uh, in the event of dream fasting. But, sure. um, but he was in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> when he was a child, it was like this little baby gelfling yeah. splashing around. It's like, and there's me taking a bath. Yep. Uh, there's me dropping a deuce. Um, <laughs> so, <seen>. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, but no. So that is really cool. And dream fasting plays a big part in, uh, in Age of Resistance. So, mm. again, Will, you need to get on that. And if you want, you can come back and we can talk about that too. Yeah. Because it was really good and I enjoyed it quite sure. a bit. Um but so she uh, she rescues Jen, and they're obviously enthralled with one another. She's got this little pet, by the way, Fizzgig, mm-hmm. Fizzgig which is yeah. essentially just a, a fuzzy head with a mouth. Yeah, uh, and maybe eyes. one of the most Muppet like uh, Muppet like creatures um, in mm-hmm. in uh, what do you call it? Uh, the dark crystal i'm sorry i just wow totally yeah this thing oh, that, that we're fucking yeah. talking about yeah, the, the subject crystal, of yeah. this whole conversation cool thing about that dude um Fizgig, he was voiced if you will by percy edwards mm-hmm. um who was a impersonator and uh he he did a lot of sound effects for things that we know sort of so sort of tie this in back into you know the whole if you watch this you probably also watch this and you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with this. And in, in the case of Percy Edwards, it was Alien, and that he did the oh. the vocalizations and sounds for uh, the Alien creature effects and the face hugger. Nice. I did not so know that. that. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. From pretty Alien crazy. to Fizzgig. Yes, I mean he 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 did a lot of other stuff, obviously, but I'm, gotcha. I'm not not as familiar um, with the uh the rest of his body of work so Mm -hmm. um so at this point she takes 
uh, Jen back to her home and her adopted family are these cute little critters called podlings uh, who are basically just maybe like dwarf gelflings. Mm. Um, and at this point, you know, uh, I can't believe that we forgot to mention kind of like the the main scary thing about the Skeksis, like their main, <laughs> their, their main business, um, when it comes to just being terribly evil and scary as all get out is they actually, they raid podling villages and enslave them. And, uh, the, the Skeksis have been draining them of their life force via the crystal. It's mm-hmm. a science that they've worked out. And, uh, that's basically how they're able to preserve some vitality is by draining it from these podlings and then making them basically these mindless slaves, which we should have said at the beginning. I'm kind of ashamed <laughs> that we didn't mention that. I, because I it, figured we were just going to shift to all yeah. the awful things the Skeksis do. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, uh, that is, is likely that could have happened, but the cat is out of the bag now. Indeed. And uh, it's just one more facet in the disgusting jewel that is the ugliness of the Skeksis. Um, mm-hmm. Just awful human beings. Okay, so, um, so I where think, were I th- we? I think now's a good well, time to talk about... She's with the podlings. About, right. I think now's a good time to talk about crystal bats. Um, crystal bats, yes, as they journey through the swamp. Um she has agreed to join Jen in his quest. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about crystal bats. So the she uh, is taking Jen back to meet the podlings, her family, quote unquote, as you know, all the other Gelfling are gone. But uh, on the way there, she basically tells Jen to get down, and she has a sling and slings a stone at something flying in the sky. Mm-hmm. And it's yet another deeply unnerving um creature called a crystal bat which has thin spindly bat wings and an eye that looks like a crystal and that's its entire body um yeah that's pretty accurate and so she tells jen you know these things um what they see the skeksis see so we don't want these crystal bats flying around seeing where we're going and what we're up to Unfortunately, she didn't fully take out the crystal bat as it rises from the swamp slightly, and the Skeksis see them paddling along in their canoe through the swamp to meet the podlings. Yes. Um, So now the Skeksis are, in fact, aware of what they're up to, and I believe that they have an encounter with with one of them, um, the disgraced Chamberlain. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah that'll never get out of your head either so yeah at towards the beginning of the story after the emperor dies there's a slight scuffle if you will for leadership and chamberlain is a uh a ranking skexy skexis skex is it skexy or skexis in the singular you know i'm not I'm, sure i'm not sure i think it's i think it's always skexis so mm. it's it's Skeksis or Skeksis. So like uh, deer and deer. But I'm I'm not gotcha. sure which one it is. So he lost this epic duel, yeah. um, which I don't really want to describe because it's so awesome that I would rather it be a surprise for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. Uh, very I cool think, way to I determine we, leadership. I think we can say the name. 
Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! <laughs> With your Trial by Stone! It's so this cool. It's just an awesome fucking name. Oh, by the um, way, but, real, uh, real quick, I, I know I know we're going through this at a pretty good clip, but you know how the Mystics have four arms? Yes. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. I noticed this on the last the last time we watched it. When the um, when the Chamberlain fails and is stripped mm-hmm. completely, you can see that they have another set of arms too. They're like these vestigial mm-hmm. little arms. I never noticed. Yeah, they're that. gross. Yeah, <laughs> that that comes gross. into play in uh, in the Netflix series also. Oh, gotcha. So, right but I will tell you that that was the first time I ever realized it was when I saw that. Mm. Gotcha. So that was kind of a surprise to me. Um, so they run into Chamberlain, who has been exiled. Um, and he, of course, is trying to... I mean, I'm I'm assuming that it's pretty transparent that he's trying to dupe them. Yeah, <laughs> they never come right out and say it. But yeah, it's yeah. he's trying to get back in favor with the rest of this. Exactly. Country. So they had found this ruin that basically describes the prophecy of, um, of a Gelfling. Um restoring balance or restoring uh the crystal to to wholeness when i guess what it was like when triple suns align or something like that which Mm -hmm. is of course the grand conjunction or great conjunction and uh and chamberlain stumbles upon them at this point and so of course they get the hell out of there um and in so doing during their flight they we are introduced to another really cool set of critters uh, the land striders, which are incredibly unique to Thraw and, and the mm-hmm. film, the dark crystal. Do you want to describe those? Yeah. So uh, the first thing that comes to mind and it is by no means an accurate description is a rabbit. Um, but that's only because they have, um, do they have long ears like a rabbit? Uh, I I'm having difficulty remembering now, but so it's it's these very tall with small thin legs. Uh, it, it's people on stilts. So we'll start there and we'll build this flesh on. It's top a of it's it. a bat rabbit. Will I just bat I just, rabbit. It just yeah. came to me. It's like a bat rabbit. And so it's if you imagine a a person with stilts on their feet and their hands, and now over that is a bat rabbit, as Parker just mentioned. Um, and so they run very quickly, which, you know, while filming, they, you know, they, they go as fast as they go. Uh, but the illusion of them moving very quickly is very, pretty well done. Um, but, um, in order to get to the castle to repair the, um, crystal with the crystal shard that Jen has, uh, Kira summons the land striders. And so they, she does her trilling note and they, they arrive and they're loping across the the landscape on these very long, thin legs, and they ride them to the castle. It's it's reminiscent of the scene in uh, Crawl where they ride yeah. fire mares uh, to get to the castle. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, fire mares can go a thousand leagues in a day. Um, I thought of I actually thought of Crawl when I was watching it for when we decided to do this. Oh yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's one nice. of the first things I thought of. Also, go watch Crawl. We'll have to do another one about that. that that's a <laughs> oh deeper. God. That's a deeper cut for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say um, that is a deep cut. I but, didn't know anybody else had seen Crawl. Right, I probably watched it with you. Uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson's in it in a minor. You took role. the words right out of my mouth. If yes. you can believe it. 
So they uh, they ride the land striders uh, and they get almost to the castle and there's a gorge uh, and the Garthim attack and this is where you find out that there and they may explore this in the show. Feel free to mention this, but um, the land striders and the Garthim seem to be natural enemies uh, as the land side, land striders begin to strike with their legs like they'll rear up and they'll strike down um and they do a really good job too and they do they pierce it's in it's really cool effect where they they pierce the shells of the garthim and there's like a a snap and smoke begins to emanate from their shells mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty pretty cool um but that's that's how they arrive is on these rabbit bats with long legs Indeed. And I, I, I do want to make a point that we I don't want to flesh out every detail mm-hmm. um, of what happens because I, I do have my notes here and it, it is kind of <laughs> plot point by plot point and we are running out of time. Right. Um, but we are at the point um, where this, the, the mystics are getting closer to the castle and that really cool thing that you mentioned earlier happens because mm-hmm. um, as Jen and Kira flee... Uh, Chamberlain sort of ambushes them at the the tunnel entrance to the castle, mm-hmm. and he and Jen sort of face off, and that is where Jen cuts his hand, right? Or cuts Chamberlain's, Chamberlain's hand. hand, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that is reflected on the uh, the mystic at, that is walking towards the castle. Right. Um, so what what was this? What was the scenario again? The Ch- Chamberlain says, "My hand." Yeah, he's he's like, and, "Ow, my hand," uh, and the mystic says, "And so to my hand." And he's miles away, but knows it seems to know exactly what's happened. Yeah, uh, just from the injury. And, and there there is another situation, um, minor spoiler, I guess, during during the climax that another Skeksis falls into a pit and presumably dies. And uh, while on the way to the castle, a one of the mystics just winks out of existence. Um, you know what? I don't even remember that. That's fucking oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah he's I'm going to have to go back and check that out. And the other mystics just turn and look, and then they keep walking. Because I they, thought I remembered keeping up with that, or at least being on the lookout for more examples of their dual nature. But man, that is that is intense. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they, it's so fascinating to me that, and I, again, I really can't think of another situation where there's this, these entities that are separate physically, but are mm-hmm. intrinsically linked to one another. I can't think of another situation, at least in visual fiction. Right. Um, maybe in literature, uh, but I again, it's to me an almost entirely unique aspect of the Dark Crystal. I, I feel like I have seen that in other films and literature but i can't think of it right now um i mean you know we can always if i if i if i come across it i can always include it uh at the conclusion of this particular Mm -hmm. show but it's important to mention too at this point that the grand conjunction is or excuse me i keep wanting to say grand conjunction the great conjunction is nigh Mm -hmm. um so jen disappears underneath the rubble that is created by Chamberlain when he freaks out at getting a, what appeared to me a boo-boo on, uh, on his <laughs> yeah. hand. Um, but he flipped out and caused yeah. a cave-in, and Jen was presumably crushed along with Fizzgig. But surprise, he is not Ta-da. dead and, uh, and rogues it into the, uh, into the castle. 
little little D and D reference there for you. Uh-huh. Footpat into the castle. There you go. He rolls his D twenty and with exceptional dexterity. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he he, you know this th- th- everything is coming to a head at this point. Um, and you see that uh, Chamberlain obviously was trying to get the Gelflings to bring them back to the castle and regain favor because regain favor he does. Mm-hmm. And they take Kira and strap her into the, the life-sucking chair, um, which, mm-hmm. by the way, this always upset me a lot when I was a child, um, this part, because I knew what it did to the podlings, and that was really upsetting. And then Kira, you know, I really like Jen, I really like Kira, they were the good guys, and it really, like, to, you know, to see one of the protagonists or one of the good guys get put in such a, I don't know, it was just, there's something, there was something to me when I was a child about the whole aspect of having your vitality or your essence drained. Mm-hmm. There was just so much more disturbing than, uh, you know, being tortured or, you know, killed or locked up or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, so that was really upsetting. I agree. And uh, <laughs> so at this point, um, you know, this is this is happening. And, uh, you know, Jen, you, you know, he realizes he has to kind of, you know, hail Mary and, uh, and and get this thing taken care of before the Great Conjunction. Did I get it right that time? The yeah, Great Conjunction? I, I think so. Before it completes. Um, so he basically just leaps onto the crystal and plunges it in. Um, and... At here you have, I guess, what would be considered the climax. There's just sort of like this blinding light, and everybody is knocked back. And uh, you want to take this one, Will? You want to wrap this up, wrap it up for us? Sure. So just just before that, though, the the mystics have made their way into the castle, and the Skeksis and the mystics, like the Skeksis, are freaking out, understandably. Um, and they sort of back into the mystics who formed a circle around them. And when Jen plunges the shard into the crystal, it unites the crystal again right at the time of the Great Conjunction and unites the Skeksis and mystics back into the Ursex. Urskex? Urskex, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who then are very grateful for Jen and Kira and explain some more about what's going on. Um, And they leave, right? I I believe so, yeah. They Um, go back into what I would assume is an extra-dimensional existence in point of fact. Gross. Any reference to Crystal Skull, we can... Oh, (laughs) uh, maybe we should do a mashup, The Dark Crystal Skull. Um that sounds like an awesome album. Yeah, it does. Uh, Christopher Lee doing vocals on it, if you were still around. No. Oh, uh, shame, man. I know. God rest his soul. But uh, something like uh, Flashes, uh, I think the last shot maybe is the, the landscape and the castle. Um, Wait, are you talking about the film or the, the album cover design? For this? <laughs> right. So, no, the movie, for sure. Gotcha. Um, the so the last shot of the movie i think is the the landscape where the castle was that blasted wasteland uh it either fades or it's a like a a cut i I think it's a fade in um the castle is now gleaming uh brightly colored uh kira is alive also by the way oh right yes um kira and um 
Jen are alone now in the castle, I think, uh, after the Erskex leave. Um, and when they do, they restore Thra, it appears, uh, as the castle is now gleaming a sort of whitish, bluish color like a crystal would. Uh, and the landscape is now lush with greenery and flowers. Um, and Thra lives happily ever after. Presumably. Um, presumably, right. And, yes, and there is a sequel to The Dark Crystal, by the way. Really? Mm-hmm. There are two sequels. Uh, they were both published by Archaea. Um, the the power of the dark crystal, and beneath the dark crystal, I think both of which were a twelve issue series. I have I'm I'm so happy because uh, the amazing amazing artist uh, Sana Takada, I believe her name is, mm-hmm. did covers, uh, variant covers for the first or the first twelve issues. There are only twelve issues of the power of, of the dark crystal, and they are beautiful. Will I will send you some pictures. When we wrap this up, because they're just amazing. But to to clarify, there are actually two sequels to uh, The Dark Crystal. Gotcha. It sounds kind of like the sequels to Willow, uh, those novels. Um, which, if you weren't aware of those, surprise, um, there are... I am aware of them, mm-hmm. but that's about where, where it ends for me. I think they're called... I'm surprised Sh- I haven't read them. Shadow Moon and Shadow Star, I think. Um it rings a bell. I'm gonna absolutely look that up. Um, so that is that's the end of the movie, basically. You know, it is mm-hmm. your classic happy ending, and uh, obviously we did not describe everything in its entirety, or or, or in right. some cases remotely accurately. Um, <laughs> but and for that reason, to conclude this conversation, will uh, I would like to talk a little bit about. Um, the themes mm-hmm. of the Dark Crystal. Um, so I was reading a little bit before we did this because I was hitherto unaware of where Jim Henson got the idea for the Dark Crystal. And mm-hmm. and this is interesting to me because apparently it's based on a series of writings collectively known as the Seth material, which were dictations from the writer Jane Roberts. And evidently, they were a really big part of the new age movement in the sixties. You know, there was sort mm. of a, uh, there was sort of an occult Renaissance, if you will, um, in the 1800s. And, and then again in the 1960s. And apparently they were very influential during that time, which I find very interesting because I've never fucking heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, here. uh, you know, I tend to roll in those circles as it were, but, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of surprised and I'm going to look into it a little bit further, but, um, Evidently, it. I guess the core of some of the teachings or beliefs were that uh, you know every soul that is embodied creates its own universe. Uh, you know, it actually gets pretty. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this. You know, kind of how we tend to think of reality now, mm-hmm. um, as some occult traditions hold. That it does mesh with with. Uh, I guess the the concept of uh, the observer in the universe, as it were, and and how you more or less determine your own reality. But anyway, that's that's getting into a completely different fucking subject that <laughs> we're not going to talk about here. Um, so that was influential to him, which I found very interesting, um, and that kind of is where you get the idea of the the Urskex and then and the mystics and then the Skeksis. I I was 
as I said, unfamiliar with that material, but mm-hmm. I find the idea of a being um, that is sundered, that's always been very fascinating to me, and that's always been something that I've always looked into myself for, um, because you see it often. Uh, you know, Speaking of occultism, you, you sort of see that on the Kabbalistic tree of life, um, you know, indicated by the void or the gulf or the abyss, uh, where you know, human beings or man, as it were, was sundered from the Godhead or separated from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, that plays very, very large in, you know, Christianity. You know, um, nobody's in heaven because Satan made a bad call. And, you know, now, we, now like we've, all, well, we've all been separated from God in that way. Uh, you know, we're trying to rejoin as it were, which, you know, and you find that theme running through several different religions and several different uh, branches and sects of, um, you know, occultism and New Age thought. But that's one of the reasons why the Dark Crystal is so important to me is because I really, I really jibe with that idea. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. But also the fact that, you know, if left unchecked, you know, the, the worst parts of you, as it were, you know, is, is extremely self-serving and depleting of vitality uh, and yourself and other people. And, and you kind of see that in the Skeksis. So whether or not that's an intentional allegory or if it was a political allegory, I mean, if that if the Dark Crystal came out today, I think mm. you could probably make that judgment call. Right. Yeah. Um, people will paint their own meaning into any fiction. For example, uh, the video game series Wolfenstein um, Mm -hmm. has been about um, killing Nazis. I was going to say, isn't that about killing Nazis? It's been about killing Nazis for, uh, let's see, ever. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then when a recent Wolfenstein game came out, and it was naturally about killing Nazis again, um, a, a movement um, on the internet, uh, naturally, said, oh, they're just doing this thing about killing Nazis because all the neo-Nazis uh, that have been cropping up lately. It's like, no, no, the, uh, it's been about that for a couple decades now. Nazis have always been bad. <laughs> right. So, and getting rid of them has always been good. That should be the end of that discussion. That's pretty much it. But And, and so people <laughs> immediately were like, oh, you're you're doing this because of the current political landscape. Right. And they were like, well, no, it's, it's been about the same thing for sure. 30 years. Well, I uh, think Tolkien was pretty clear on his feelings of allegory and how, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord of the Rings, for example, was not meant to be allegorical, but people, and, and from what I understand, this really irritated Tolkien is that people have that tendency to do that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I feel pretty certain that that, I mean, if you watch age of resistance now, um, it's it's there's definitely some allegory there and you're like oh that's like kind of what people are doing now and this is how you know the ruling elite treat other people oh i see what you did there (laughs) um i mean it's it's pretty transparent i guess is what i'm trying to say um but um are there any themes that stand out to you will that that you really appreciate or that you find an affinity for that that duality is, is really the main thing um Beyond that, it's it's a relatively classic story. Um, and to expand a little bit on the duality, there's the mm-hmm. there's not only the Skeksis and the 
uh, mystics, but even the Gelfling in and of themselves, as quote unquote one race, they they share, you know, the dream fasting, for example. So they could, in my opinion, be interpreted as sort of the opposite of that duality, as being mm -hmm. one entity, whole. one whole, no matter where they are. And when they touch, they share that whole. They're, they're able to share their whole experience with one another. That's actually really cool. Yeah. So it certainly reframes it for me. It, that's that's what jumps out to me is that it, it's sort of they're the opposite of the mystics and skexies. They're 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 one entity rather than separate entities. Gotcha. And, and, and something else that jumps out at me is sort of sort of what you mentioned about the ruling classes is is that while these two um, races, the the mystics and the skexies, are sort of the most salient things in the story. There are other creatures that are, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sapient creatures that like the podlings, the gelfling, Agra, um, wherever she comes from. Um, there are all these races and creatures out there that are trying to live their life and make their own decisions. And the story focuses on just a handful of them. But very true. I'm not sure. You feel free to let me know if the series does, but it, it looks like they don't really explore a lot of that, and I, I feel like that's almost uh, a disservice. Not, not terribly. It does expand on the Gelfling mm -hmm. uh, by a great deal, and that's fascinating, but it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't really give any more insight into some of the questions that you just asked mm -hmm. or, or some of the points you just made. Um but uh, I, I would kind of like to watch Age of Resistance again, watch The Dark Crystal, and then read The Power of the Dark Crystal and Beneath the Dark Crystal. Because I didn't read Beneath the Dark Crystal. I, I think I bought two issues of that, and I didn't even start reading it. Um, mm. Because every now and then financial shit happens, and I have to like cull my pull list. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> that was one of the ones that got cut. Um, so I didn't even start reading it. I think I've only got maybe three issues of beneath mm. the dark crystal but that's beside the point i would like to marathon that again and there's so much mythology out there and other books that have been published like i think there's this massive tome called the world of the dark crystal and uh and i haven't bought that um i would very much like to have it and i'd very much like to look at it nice. but uh, yeah but yeah hopefully maybe some of those questions that you had would get answered um in that book or perhaps and beneath the dark crystal i don't know but uh, but yeah, I think I think that pretty much does it for for this discussion. Will uh, it's funny how when we get to the end, we always find you know more <laughs> and new and interesting things to say. But yeah, uh, but we are out of time, unfortunately. Um, I do very much appreciate you taking the time out of your night to to have this talk with me, though. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very grateful that uh, you had me on. Yes, sir. Well, uh, hopefully. We can do this again in the future. I know that uh, there. I only have a few things on the docket. Um, Luke and I, when we when we did our last show, um, we had this whole separate discussion planned out for Obi Wan. So I think mm -hmm. that we're probably going to do a bonus show that's going to come out between now and uh, or at the time that this is released and the end of the year. But uh, I know I talked to Dad um about a, a little thing 
and uh, we're probably because we always do a show in December. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, I didn't mean for that to be a tradition; it just sort of became one. So this will be the third show uh, that that uh, that my dad, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Marcotte, he'll be with me, and we are going to cover John Wick. So probably November and December, we're going to do like John Wick Part One, uh, and then you know in December probably two and three. Because uh, I'm a late comer to John Wick, mm-hmm. um, I, I asked Dad about it before I had even seen them. I was like, "So, do you know these John Wick movies?" And he was just like, "Oh, let me tell you." <laughs> oh yeah. So, so, uh, so then I watched uh, I watched the first two, and then um, I had to wait, obviously, for the third one, um, which mm-hmm. sucked because I was like, "What? I can't just automatically watch the third one? What is this? I binge, man." <laughs> this is the age of Netflix. Don't fuck with me. So, uh, but I only had to wait a little while because, like I said, I'm a latecomer to the series, and you know they're cool. I like them. I like them enough to do a podcast with Dad. So, right on. Uh, yeah. we're gonna do that. And uh, so, you know, there's that to look forward to, and uh, and then of course the first of the year. I think that you, Will, you did the first episode of the year with me, didn't you? I want to say that was the first episode of the year. Of 2019, that yeah. was the first. Yeah, wow, we're coming up on a year since that happened. I can't believe that. That is just crazy. 2020's coming, man. Disappeared. Disappeared. Uh, well, anyway, thanks again, Will. Um, and uh, I hope that we're able to do this again soon. Say hello to Carrington for me. And uh, you got it. hopefully you guys will keep podcasting as well. I will, of course. Oh, I yeah. want to hear that podcast. You will, and I will give a shameless self-promotion uh, on your podcast when uh, we're ready. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you. <All> right. <laughs> of course. All right, Will. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Talk to you later. You got it. As that delightfully poor sign and speech-impeded anthropomorphic cartoon famously says, that's all, folks. I do hope that you enjoyed our conversation about and just to the periphery of Frank Oz and Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. And as we may or may not have mentioned, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix is very much worth your time. It's excellent as far as prequels go, and it includes a supremely awesome array of voice talent, including both Star Wars and Game of Thrones alumni, so check it out for certain. Now, there are only two more episodes of the Sleeping Giant podcast left for 2019, and I intend to make them count. In what is, I suppose now, an annual tradition, my father, Mr. Stephen Marcotte, will join us on our Christmas episode. I'm definitely looking forward to that, as I always do every year at this point, and who knows what sort of shenanigans we'll get up to. So, tell your wife, tell your kids, and share the hell out of this, because, uh, you know, I'm, um, gods know I'm just terrible at marketing and promotion, so... Like I said, tell your family, tell your friends. I think it's a pretty cool show, and uh, who knows? They might like it. I like it. Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast, and until next time. <laughs>